0: The Bravery Defined podcast acknowledges the traditional owners of land and water that this podcast is recorded on. You are listening to Bravery Defined, the podcast about unlocking the extraordinary spirit within us. I'm your host, Annette Jakobowicz, an Australian mum of four, a born entrepreneur, business owner and mentor who's passionate about sharing stories of success. Bravery is not merely the absence of fear with the audacious choice to confront challenges head on, to navigate uncharted territories, and to stand tall in the face of adversity. It's the unwavering commitment to facing our fears, driven by a deep sense of purpose and an unyielding belief in our ability to overcome. Throughout my journey, I've had the privilege of helping thousands of NDIS participants navigate the complexities of the system, and as a business strategist and mentor, I've coached hundreds of business owners and countless employees, empowering them to create or redefine successful businesses. In this podcast, we dive deep into candid conversations with extraordinary individuals within the National Disability Insurance Scheme Arena and across the broader disability community. Together, we're gonna explore the journeys of perseverance, triumphs, and the transformative power of bravery. Join me on Bravery Defined as we uncover the infinite perspectives of resilience, strength and empowerment, proving that true bravery is the key to unlocking a more inclusive and inspiring future. This week, prepare to be inspired as we introduce you to a remarkable three-times Paralympian who defied all odds, living almost four decades beyond her original three-month cancer prognosis. Beyond her incredible athletic achievements to date, her compassionate spirit is now the heart of a new mission, dedicating herself to empowering others with disabilities. Join us as we dive into her extraordinary journey, a tale marked by triumph, resilience, and an unwavering commitment to spreading joy and inspiration. And, as if her story couldn't get any more captivating, she now embarks on a bold campaign to secure her spot in the upcoming Paris Paralympics. Don't miss this uplifting exploration of triumph over adversity, resilience, and the pursuit of dreams. This is Bravery Defined. Okay, so if you're a horsey person, then you absolutely do not need any introduction to our podcast guest. She is the Australian para equestrian three time Olympian, Sharon Jarvis. Um, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Oh, thank you for
1: having me. It's really lovely to see you again, actually. <laughs> so yes, even- I
0: know. <laughs> it's been a long time. Uh, perhaps a little bit of um, a backstory. So how I know Sharon is, um, well, she used to just beat me all the time in horse riding, to be honest. <laughs> it was around probably about three decades ago now. Uh, we're all getting a bit older. But i um, I didn't really know you, Sharon, as you know, someone that had a disability or even you know survived childhood cancer. I just really knew you was the girl that always won, um, who had a slight limp, and yeah, the girl that lived on the apple farm. <laughs> oh
1: yeah, but I think we have to change that. To you're the one who always won. Definitely my busy <laughs> rider.
0: Not so sure about that. It's uh, it's funny how I remember things. I think we're probably quite happy that um, that we're in different age classes at the time. But um you've absolutely had an incredible life since then, um 30 years ago. But um to start off and and give our our listeners a little bit of of context, are you able to share a little bit about your journey um when you received your diagnosis as a child? What do you remember about that?
1: Yeah, so it's it's interesting because my perspective on it is probably quite different to a lot of what a lot of people would think. Um I just remember um Having a sore leg to start with, and being a kid who generally didn't complain about anything, you know, I started complaining, so my parents knew that something something was wrong. Um, mm. So I was always an active kid, and um, yeah, eventually after a lot of doctors' visits, and um, three months later, I was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma. Um, and it's really interesting, so it's a bone cancer that at the time was typically found in teenage boys. Um, and I was a seven-year-old girl. Uh, At the time, it had kind of been misdiagnosed for a while because doctors had put it down to growing pains. Um, And, yeah, I just remember mum and dad didn't really use the word cancer with me. And they just kind of like they just ingrained it in me that, you know, I was sick but, you know, my my job was to get well again. Um, And originally yeah the doctors had given them the prognosis of 20 percent chance of survival and three months to live wow um, and that's you know my parents thought you know we were from the country we went had to go to Perth for the treatment and they they didn't think they were going to bring me home
0: mm. um,
1: you know and and that's you know I think about it and I think oh my god how did my parents cope with all that you know for me I I think I had the easy job you know like I just had this little job that I had to get well again and obviously I went went through um, a lot of cycles of chemotherapy, um, radiation treatment Um, and at the time, you know, the the thing, you know, obviously amputation was talked about because that was what they did a lot of in those days because it's a type of cancer that can spread really quickly Um, and I was really lucky that my doctor was heading to America and he took my case to the head of paediatrics oncology in America. And he said, wow. like, what do we do? Um, first of all, to get it to survive. Secondly, how do we save a leg? Um, yeah. And that was due to the fact that if they had to take my leg, they would have had to basically take my whole hip too. Um, okay. The position of the cancer in my femur. And... Prosthetics in those days weren't great. No. And, um, yeah, so so they came back with, uh, with an experimental uh, treatment plan and they did uh, several limb, limb salvage surgeries um, which basically take, took out parts of my leg but still had it functioning. Yeah. Um, and at the end of it, it all worked. Um, yeah, fantastic. I, I was one of those lucky ones kind of in that first generation of survivors. Um and yeah so so then, for me, the worst thing was uh, I wasn't allowed to ride my pony during it um, <laughs> and to stop me from going out the paddock and trying to get on my pony, my parents actually had to
0: sell my pony yeah so, right it's funny I, I don't I don't remember any of that, and you know we were children growing up riding together, and it's funny all the things that go on behind the scenes that you just never really know about and how, like, incredibly brave and strong both yourself and, and your parents must have been. Um, you know, I know we've spoken about this before, is that your parents never labelled it. They never put, you know, the words cancer or disability or anything different um, on it. They just sort of said, you know, you've got a job and your job is to get better. Um, did that mean that you saw yourself as, I guess, normal or, you know, the same as everyone else?
1: Absolutely. Like, you know, like it was kind of like, okay, we had complications later and another year, and we broke the leg and kind of had to put it back together again. And um, and that was not from falling off a horse. Yeah. <laughs> it was from falling off falling off 30 centimetres of a piece of play equipment. Um, and that that brought a lot of complications to it. And, you know, so we had surgeries and this and that as I went along as a kid, and, you know, um, but it was yeah. I was never really labelled anything, you know. And no. I remember, I remember walking, going to school one day and got, saying to the teacher, "Did you know I had cancer?" And the, the teacher was like, "Uh, yeah, <laughs> oh, okay." Like <laughs> I really, you know, um other people knew, and 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 I suddenly, you know, like I had. You know, school was a pretty hard time actually for me, in the sense that I was labelled different. Mm. You know, I'd been the kid that had come back to school that had no hair. I'd come back if I I was in a wheelchair for one stage. You know, I was on crutches for a long time. You know, so so kids can be, in a sense, quite cruel, Um, Mm. and I found it quite tricky to navigate that at times. Um, But the thing was, you know, like I never stopped. Wanting to ride again for six years, I bugged my doctors. You know, can I ride? Can I ride? And obviously, after six years, they they knew I wasn't going to give up. And, yeah. and that was that was when they said yes? My, you know, wow! That for me, that was back to you know really doing something I love. And because I could get on the ponies, mm. they didn't know any different. You know, the t- ponies didn't treat treat me any differently. And and sure, I I worked out. I have to get on the. Pony on the wrong side. And I love that mm. like, handy mount when you had to get on your pony on the wrong side. My pony's like, oh, I just stand here.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And, um, you know, like, so, so getting on the, the horses and and then suddenly, you know, I'd go rock up to these competitions, like, you know, and you were there and I didn't get treated any, different, any differently. Like, I was just running yeah. and enjoying it.
0: And yeah. Absolutely. Like, yeah, for sure.
1: It was an amazing. You know, like, like, for me, that was just, that was yeah where I belonged, and that. Mm. that that was yeah they've taken me far further than I actually ever imagined that, that writing could take me, and and yeah. you know it's, and
0: it's, we talk about um was, sorry to, to jump in but that that piece you just said about you know you you came back and you were treated no differently and that. You know, it felt like where you belonged. This is the the disability inclusion, I guess, topic that everyone is is hot on the lips at the moment, you know, that we're not segmenting people off just because they're NDIS participants. Well, you know, we're talking about a time when there was no NDIS, right? Um, this is 30 odd years ago. And the fact that people just accepted and included you within mainstream activities and mainstream groups as if, you know, nothing was any different. Like we're 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 looking at like, okay, a child has Blonde hair and a child has red hair, like it doesn't matter. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, this is probably a little bit of a controversial comment, but the NDIS has somewhat segmented things a little more, unfortunately, rather than brought them together like they used to be. Um, you know, I'm a great believer in the NDIS. I advocate for it. I love it. I think it's done some fantastic things over the years, and I've, I've seen firsthand the difference it's made in people's life, and I'm, I'm sure you'll share that a bit later. But um, it's so good to know that we already had Um, an inclusive space before the NDIS, Um, and I'm sure with the way they're going to review the NDIS and make some changes that will get that um, complete inclusivity back. So, you know, for those people that are listening that are new to the NDIS space, new to the disability space, maybe have a child that's just been diagnosed or they've had an accident and become, um, you know, injured um, through that process and part of the community, you know, inclusivity has always been there. It's just somehow um, a little bit of the NDIS has segmented it out to, you know, groups for people with a disability versus groups for people without a disability. Um, You know, you saw yourself definitely growing up as no different and how great would it be for everyone to to have that experience so I really do hope that with the changes to the NDIS that are coming we're able to move back into that space um you know you you mentioned that you've gone a long way with your horse riding um and oh my goodness have you so um let's see if I can get this right because I didn't write it down Beijing uh Tokyo and what's the third one sorry and Rio that's it and then we're, we're campaigning for Paris of course um you know it's hard to keep up with all the information I thought I'd remember it. I should have written it down so um you know Sharon's been to three Paralympics just so incredible um you know, so many trials and tribulations, no doubt, on the road to those events. Can you compress your story really quickly for us? <laughs> oh, and just mate. it's so hard. I'm sure we could talk about it for hours. But, you know, there's a lot of strength and um, I guess also a lot of vulnerability that goes into saying this is where I want to go, this is what I want to achieve, how are we going to get there? Um, and, again, remember we didn't have the NDIS then. We weren't at that stage, perhaps for the last Olympics, but but certainly not for the ones prior.
1: Yeah, um, God, you know, sometimes I look at my life and I'm like, oh, I'm still in the same place, but it just means I have a home that I always come back to.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> on the farm, but yeah, it's taken me. on, um, I think to myself, like, it takes it takes my I take my horses, my luggage around the world at times. You know, like it's just. I think at first, like I I had no idea I would, was eligible for the Paralympics at all. You know, I if you know, I used to call it my dud leg, you know, like just <laughs> get up and keep going. Um yeah. and competed open competitions, you know, my life. And it wasn't until somebody else um saw me getting on my horse on the wrong side of a competition. Mm. And, and because well, that, for me that's really normal. Um, but at the time I was writing it, you'll appreciate this um, little Welsh cop that I used to compete. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, they saw me getting on, and they questioned somebody else and said, "What? What's basically what's wrong with her, and why is she getting on the wrong side?" And mm-hmm. they're like, oh, "That's Sharon, and her leg doesn't work properly. <laughs> like you know, that's how people yeah. just do it. Like yeah, and um, so then." this lady approached me and she happened to be in a wheelchair and she said, have you ever considered the Paralympics? Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I didn't know enough about the Paralympics at the time or, and I just thought it was just basically, I mean, it's terrible, people who are in wheelchairs doing sport. I really didn't really yeah. know a lot about it.
0: And um, yeah. I, was, I was off on my own little journey at the time and um when do you think that was? Like what, what sort of timeline are we talking?
1: Yeah, so this was back in 2006. Okay. Um, she saw me hopping on it and, um, and I was like, I, I tell you what, when she spoke to me, I, I, the look I gave her, I, I could have killed her and buried
0: <laughs> <laughs> Like I'm far too able-bodied to be at the Paralympics. I'm not in a wheelchair. I don't qualify. Is that, is that what was going through your mind?
1: I had no. It literally went through my mind. I had no understanding of how the classification system works, and that there were basically different grades, and that for the riders, anyway. um, And I literally, I I drove three hours home back to the farm, crying. You know, Mm -hmm. like absolutely um, mortified that that other people had seen me as having a disability. And I really hadn't seen it myself you know like that was just me that was who I who I was you know yeah and um, my parents did the best thing when I came home and they I told them what had happened and they just said oh if you want to give it a go give it a go. if you don't want to give it a go don't give it a go. we'll support you either way you know like whatever decision you make and um, wow.
0: You just have the most supportive, incredibly supportive parents, can I just say, having having met them. Um, you know, oh, don't worry, Sharon's, Sharon's mum's got it. You know, she was always there in the background and she was the, your biggest supporter and it's so incredible to see. Um, you know, now you've obviously got a much bigger team behind you, having been, you know, three times, well, more than three times overseas, but three times um, competing at the, at the Paralympics. But your mum, oh, my goodness, she's just the most amazing human being and no doubt she's passed that down to you because um, you have just done the most incredible things as well with your life. So, you know, w- what an incredible moment to to have that support from your parents.
1: It, it is and, you know, I can absolutely genuinely say I would not be where I am today without my parents. You know, we we no longer have dad with us but mum is still there in the background. So, like, it's just, um, yeah, she really is still there in the background doing a lot. Um, so yeah, so, so they said that and I woke up the next morning like a kid on Christmas. Mm. I just, had this fire in my belly, this excitement, this, oh my God, what could I do? You know, I was still wasn't convinced I was disabled enough. <laughs> And then, um, you had to go to a physio and they would, you know, go through all these um, things and that to make sure that, you know, see what, how you're dis- disabled, basically, you know, flexible. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So they're like testing your functional impairment, essentially, right? Yeah.
1: Absolutely. And I walked in and I said, I don't think I'll actually qualify. I'm really sorry. Um, anyway, we got through the end and she said, Oh, um, you know, you're grade four, but but that's not even the least disabled category. <laughs> like,
0: Yeah, right. So for those that don't know about the grading um, required, can you cover that off for us and, and tell us what the different grades cover?
1: Yeah, so so we have five different grades in um, para equestrian. Um, so five is the, um, basically the least disabled category. Four, uh, one is the most disabled category. Yeah, so it's um a combination of a lot of different things between those categories and grade one you'll get a lot of um cerebral palsy, um in in all four limbs um yeah and then grade two so grade um cerebral palsy basically goes basically the whole way through the ca- categories because of varying different degrees um mm-hmm. and then um. A lot of there's a lot of like paraplegics in grade two and three, um, so neurological conditions and things like that. Grade yep. four, we're probably the most um, varied category. Grade four, um, so I have weakness, um, like and and lack of strength and and lack of coordination. Basically, it's really interesting. Basically, from the waist down um mostly on my left side but also partially on my right side and that actually comes back to the treatment that i was given um through the radiation um has basically affected me from l4 or 5 down as well yes um, right so um
0: that's so those who are not familiar with l4 and 5 they're um, they're discs in your in your back essentially so that's shown sort of waist down look I, I I haven't seen you walk lately, but I remember your walk was just a little differently gated. I mean, you just sort of dragged your left side slightly. You would hardly notice. So I can totally see how you would have gone to that physio appointment thinking, What are you guys talking about? I'll never qualify for this. But, you know, thank goodness you did, because what an amazing Australian ambassador you've actually been for both the sport and for the disability community.
1: I was, um you know, like I think it's the start you you start out on your own journey um you know and, and mine was like right there's a paralympics two years later um in beijing and i'm going like mm. it's it, i look back and go, oh my god like it's been it was such a whirlwind and you know i then you know i think i've driven across the Nullarbor. uh i think the last drive was drive number 25 so wow uh, You know, it's it's, living in the country though. Kind of gave me. We always had to drive to Perth to compete or to do lessons, and you know, so that's what you did. You just got in the car and you drove, and and that's the attitude I've taken from Western Australia. Like, okay, all my major competitions are on the east coast. Well, you get in the car and you drive. You know that that's the thing. And
0: And for those of you that don't know, Donnybrook in WA is not Perth. So Donnybrook is like probably a good three and a half, four hours south of Perth, Um, you know, depending on probably the roads are a little bit better now than they were before, so you might do it a bit quicker. But And this is not just driving a car either. We're driving a car with a horse float, correct? Or are you sending the horses on a truck when when you're going over east?
1: Yeah, so we've done a combination. Um, My favourite is actually to drive them myself. There's something really special I find about being out there really in the middle of nowhere with, like, I love my country and it's mm. and a connection to the country out there and um and then, you know, if you've got your horse with you, you know, you're there with the animal you love. And so um I actually one of my favourite places in the world has got to be standing on the edge of Australia looking out on the Great Australian Bite. Um, just, uh, South Australia side of the border. And, and I just love stopping the car there and stop on the side of the road. And you're literally on the edge of Australia. And it's,
0: it's got to be one of my favorite places, but. Oh, I've got goose yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. And you were telling me before we got started today, you were sharing the story. I see, you know, you're wearing your, your Olympic, um, branded or team branded, um, top there today. Um, And we were talking about that and and you said it's actually one of your favourites due to the the symbolism um, that you, you know, very appreciative of. Do you want to share that story? I'm sure that our listeners would love to also hear that. You are very connected to country. Um, You are an Aussie girl, like you really embody all that I would call an Aussie girl would be, a lady, woman now, Um, but I remember you as, you know, just kicking about on the farm in Donnybrook, and um, it seems that that connection's just got stronger and stronger over the years, so.
1: Yeah, um, we have this beautiful Indigenous um, design on our clothes, um, and it was made specifically for Paralympics Australia, and it's called The Journey. Um, and it has these round dots on it, round meeting places, um, and there's seven of those to represent the seven states and t- territories of Australia. A-, a lot of them I've I've driven through um mm. with um, mm-hmm. <laughs> the connection, the dots connecting them, you know, which is us um coming together uh as a team, and it has the um uh boomerangs that um like, look like an arrow and they're actually all moving forward um, because as people we are always moving forward. Um, and so, it's yeah, I really like competing and, and having this, you know, on part of my clothing. I, it just really brings me back to Australia and, and, you know, the country that I do love. And, um, yeah, it, it's, it's very special. I, I really love it and I really appreciate being able to wear it. So, um, yeah. I it's, you know, I'm, it's called The Journey and I, and I think I've been on a hell of a journey.
0: Um, I think you've been on the hell of, of multiple journeys. <laughs> I think I think only yesterday you had a pretty good journey didn't you uh, uh you know like uh, uh, sorry a horse float um or car breaking down with a horse float on and sending a horse over east it always uh, never a dull moment in the life of um of Sharon Jarvis. <laughs> and it's it, a dull moment it's um very very um very good to hear though and you mentioned this when you were describing um the artwork on your sleeve there but you have a team, you know, we are a team. And in a way that team is is the Olympic team, of course, um, the Australian team, but it's also the team that supports you day to day. So to paint a bit of a picture, you know, what does a typical day look like? You have a job, you know, you don't just ride horses, you, you actually have a job too. And, you know, you live on a farm. So um, there's a lot of undulating land to to navigate um, you know you're working with horses and you're riding horses so there's lots of things to carry lots of manual work to do um, yeah you know, I'm, I'm guessing you have a really great team of people helping you do that or you would actually be exhausted at the end of the day there's there's no doubt about it um, you, that you wouldn't be able to actually do what you do without a great team around you
1: no so the the most important part of what I do is actually having the right team behind me. You mm. know, like I, I there's and there I have a lot of also little different sub subcategory teams. You know, and that to actually make it all work. Um, you know, um, unfortunately, what's happened is because I was kind of in that first generation of survivors about the, the kids' cancer. Um, we're now the first generation, like basically late effects of the treatment we were given as kids. Yeah. yeah okay. Everything, everything the um these days can be very pinpoint with like the radiation and that. But literally, literally they radiated um my whole femur, which basically goes into my lower spine as well when you um talk about the connections of everything. And so um I now like now we're trying to deal with you know what it what, what when it comes up what comes up and how yeah. do we do that so it's really in, like so I am um, what saved your life is now also creating big problems <laughs> I'm so pleased it saved my life because I tell you yeah. what I've had an incredible life and I, oh, still, yeah, absolutely I still have an incredible incredible life you know and so um because of the teams around me, I can have that incredible, incredible life. Um, and like you said, I'm here on the farm, and and I, you know, I'm, I am a can do, try to do type person. Um, mm-hmm. And that was instilled in me um, by my father. You know, like he he was like, okay, I'm not always going to be here. Um, w- you know, make it work for yourself. Um, yep. So. i'm I'm that type of person who will try but you know like at the end of the day if i go out and do everything i attempt to do i'm just
0: exhausted
1: you know yeah you're picking
0: yourself up off the floor at the end of the day aren't you really i mean and
1: and, you know like a normal person would probably be like yeah well you know that's easy but actually like because i'm making you know i've got to make my body work i've got to make my legs keep up with me you know Mm. that that is an exhausting time, just making the bottom half of me work. Um, but I tell you what, like um, through the NDIS, where actually I I got a scooter for around the farm.
0: Oh my goodness! Let's talk. Let's talk about the NDIS because I could not believe, like I absolutely could not believe that a you didn't know about the NDIS and someone called you out of the blue. And, B, you got offered the NDIS when other riders who, inverted commas, you felt were more disabled, were having to go all the way to the appeals tribunal to get access to the NDIS. I mean, again, big advocate of the NDIS, but what a mess. <laughs> I, like, I don't um, my physio
1: say to, Like, literally physio keeps me functioning, like, honestly. And I don't know physio say to me because I was overseas at the time campaigning for Tokyo and he's like, are, "Are you not on the NDIS?" And I'm like, "Oh no, I don't have time. I don't have time for that." Like, I didn't understand it, and yeah. and I was just like, "I'm not into paperwork," and and like that just sounded like a really hard.
0: thing. <laughs> and let's face it, the NDIS and paperwork go together.
1: <laughs> like I had a couple of, I've got a couple of friends that you know, like. I and mean, I'm involved with some uh, some writers who, who have higher needs than I. And I mm. love I love coaching them to bits. I can absolutely say it's it's a passion of mine. And um they were like, Sharon, we have got to get you on this NDIS, you know. Yeah. They they would see me struggle in in doing some things and um I do a fair bit of my coaching from sitting down because I just I just can't stay on my feet all day. And um, you know, they're like, so when you should really look into this. I'm like, no, 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 I've got Tokyo coming too hard.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just for everyone um, that's listening again, just just to let them know, so not only do you ride and compete on your own horses and, and other people's, you know, horses uh, and travel and have a, a job as, are you still working? you Are working as a, a um, horse feed rep or not doing so much work at the moment?
1: I have had to let a few things go with the intensity of this um, campaigning.
0: Mm. But yeah,
1: you know, have had, um, you know, different kind of, in a sense, off horse jobs along the way. Um, Yeah. To try and make my life a little easier, probably add a little more complication in there, but.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you're also coaching other riders. So, you know, that is also a job. Um, you're coaching other riders. So I'm actually not sure how you fit everything into one day, um, but it does not surprise me. You are a let's just make it work person, and good on you for that. Um, so getting back to the scooter, you know, um, obviously NDIS funded the scooter, I'm guessing.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So in the end, um, it's kind of in a sense, we, COVID hit and there was kind of like this time and and my got very good friend, Vanessa, she said, okay, Sharon, I'm, I'm going to like get you to, you know, make you get on the NDIS. You really
0: <laughs> Project NDIS. <laughs>
1: Really was, and I can actually honestly say she still helps me and, and a massive amount. Um, because I, I am so busy, I, I can't mm. work out how to fit things everything into a day. And she said, I'll help you in this situation, look after yourself, you know. And she's been amazing because she's opened my eyes up to what is possible, you know, in in, in helping me and um. So yeah, first of all, we'll talk about my scooter because I love my scooter like oh, my.
0: <laughs> it's so good. I mean, equipment is just amazing. It does the most amazing things for people if it's prescribed correctly. I mean, we make we've got to make sure that it's fit for purpose, right? But um-
1: yeah, and they actually got this perfect. Actually, like you know, it is about finding the right team. I have a wonderful OT who who is also horsey. You know, so it's kind of like. Finding right. those people who understand kind of the situation I'm in. Um, because the the horse community is is my community, you know, mm-hmm. like and and staying being able to stay connected to that is 100 percent what I'm about. And yeah. um so yeah, this scooter that I can tow my feet trolley off. Like Oh, how cool, that's incredible. <laughs> That's what, oh my god, it's so funny! Like, so we tested out these scooters. We had to test them out, to check they could safely, and I could safely go through the paddocks on them. Like, yeah, of course. Like that's my that's the ground I have to go on. So yeah. I didn't think about that. You need
0: an off road version, almost, don't you?
1: Basically, yeah. It's it's that version that's kind of in between, which is actually really ideal. Um, yeah, because I can load it onto the horse float. You know, we had to make sure that it fitted in my float um, to go to competitions with as well. So, mm. um, you know, it had we, we've made it really dual purpose. Um, yeah. You know, like um, I think that one stage down the track, maybe uh, I would love something a little bit lighter so I could get around easier at the shops. But for for this purpose, for what we really needed straight away, it's actually ideal. Like like. It came, you know, we had a little tow hitch put on the back of it. it came, mm-hmm. in, just put my little pin in, put my feed trolley on behind, and off I go. All my horses lead off the scooter. I don't have to keep walking and walking to paddocks. Wow, the horses are being taught to lead off the scooter. The young ones, all of them, that they come. If anybody else's horse comes, like the owners might be horse isn't used to this by the time they come and pick their horse up the horse is very used to leading off the scooter you know yeah yeah Yeah.
0: And that has a lot to say about your nature too, Sharon, like, um, you know, horses and um, and dogs and all these other animals that we see time and time again working with people um, in the NDIS space that add such great value, um, that are almost not only a companion, but are part of the therapeutic um, team I guess in a way and they do learn to work with you and it's in, incredible what can happen over a period of time and, and the energy that's sort of given off by people and received back by horses and you know, for you, you mentioned before we were talking and you said that, you know, they don't judge you, they don't see you as, as any different, um, but you get a lot of feedback from them that, that helps you feel calm and that helps your system, I guess, regulate so that you're able to not be um, in fight-or-flight mode or things like that when you're riding or when you're working around animals and thinking, I can't get out of the way quick enough if they move. So everything just becomes one system that just works, doesn't it? You know, it's so amazing just to see people working. Working, you know with horses and and dogs and and getting such great um outcomes. Oh,
1: abs- absolutely. Animals can never be underestimated for what they can do mm. for the soul. Honestly, they they really can't be. Um so yeah, like my, my scooter was a breakthrough. You know, like
0: yeah. it does have a name. name. It should have a name. <laughs> the scooter should have a name for sure. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's was the scooter. Um, but yeah, so, so that was breakthrough and, and, and things are a little bit like, um, at the comp competition, um, I kind of inadvertently kind of ended up doing a lot of just sitting at my, my stables instead of actually, you know, interacting with, with my, my friends so much. And yeah, like I said before, that, that equestrian community really is that, that's my community that, that, you know, I love, you know, that's, that's my social yeah. community as well. And, um, so yeah, having, having the scooter to, you know, zip around to where everybody's sitting and things like that, you know, cause I, I just take a chair and quite often just sit, sitting in the stable during competition. Um, so, so that's a lot easier and actually, um, have some great crutches. And if I want to go somewhere fast or quick, because I don't really like doing slow in my life, you know. I'll, oh, well, you don't
0: say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so i grab my crutches and off I go, you know, like I zip around to, the, you know, the, the shops and, um, you know, zip around for my appointments and, and and things like that. Like Sharon's usually running five minutes late, so I you know, grab the crutches and off I go and you get there quicker. So it's... <laughs> Things like that, that um, you know, it, it's just so so much better. And having the ability to have somebody with me when I'm doing something as well, when I'm I'm like Sharon, you probably shouldn't be doing this alone. <laughs> you know, yeah, having that ability to have somebody with me just mm. kind of takes the pressure off, almost like thinking, "Is my body going to hold up?" You know, you no. Know, yeah, today, yeah. Of
0: course,
1: today is a bad day, Sharon. That's it that's actually okay to yeah. have that and you know, call in
0: the troops <laughs> call in the troops I get
1: me to this appointment because like I just can't drive today you know I just can't do
0: it yeah and look that's what it's there for isn't it I mean um tell me about your journey of finding those people did you find that you already had those support people but you were sort of bartering with them or paying them out of your own pocket and then NDIS came along and then you all of a sudden had access to funding to now pay these existing people or did you have to sort of explore the support worker model for the first time and go out and find people and train them how to work with you and your horses?
1: Yeah so they've kind of come about organically um and and there was definitely a few people in there that definitely I was
0: bartering with
1: hang on can I give you some lessons (laughs) Yes, I know.
0: (laughs) It's how we all survived before NDIS funding.
1: (laughs) Absolutely, or or it was a case of okay, I've got a little bit of money, but I'm really sorry. You know, it's kind of being going to be a a little bit for love as well. You know, like yeah, yeah, it's definitely definitely like that. And and having it kind of took the pressure off. You know, like oh my god, like I can actually give these people really what they. You know what, they deserve what you know, mm. I value them, you know, um, and be, being able to do that, and so I'm um self managed. Um, I actually have a friend who does it for me, I will be honest, because it's that's, that's okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just can't handle everything. Um, and like I said, she's she's such a wonderful person, she her own daughter. Um, is on NDIS. She understands what I need. You know, she she sees me. sees oh, my naughty puppy is
0: barking. <laughs> That's okay.
1: <laughs> oh my god. Um, and like just you know, she understands. She understands me. She understands when. Um, kind of, I guess we use the spoon situation. She understands when I divide my spoons up and then completely spend them. Like, yeah. Yeah, um, she, you know she she understands me, um, and so that's that's wonderful. And I think having you know I'm lucky in that sense. I do have some friends in those situations that they understand. But yeah, so that my my support people have come in really quite organically, or some me saying oh, I really need someone to help me this day, and by mm-hmm. chance a friend knowing a friend, and then then that yeah. person come in and and I've gone wow, she really suits me, you know.
0: Yeah. And, and try so- before you buy.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, oh, would you like to do this a little bit more, you know, <laughs> like um, yeah. like so it's, it's it's like that, you know, you just they have, yeah, kind of come organically because I have some wonderful people in my life already. But, mm. you know, now I can, you know, it's not a case of paying paying friends I I have friends who are friends but it's it's you know when they do help me being able to give them what they deserve and that you Mm. know situation Mm. or they know you know so it's a friend of a friend you know oh oh, so and so could be really great in this situation so that's um that's how how they basically have come about um so yeah so it's it's wonderful
0: yeah, sounds like you've had a pretty good time with that. Um, a lot of people are entering this space not having had support or help ever. Um, and, you know, except for the, the couple of sessions from the council a week for, you know, a cleaner and someone to help them shower or something. And they've had to navigate, you know, how what is a support worker? How do I find a support worker? How do I find the right person? But it sounds like you've actually had quite a nice um, organic evolution <laughs> From, you know, a couple of people that have helped you out here and there to now becoming regular supports and then a nice feed of new people coming through and, you know, self-management, I think there's only about 16% um, at the last um, lot of stats of people that self-manage. So majority of people plan manage, and and the difference again for people listening is, you know, plan manage. You send your invoices off to a third party. Those those that third party provider processes the invoices for the provider from your funding, so you don't have to do anything. You sound like you've got quite a good mix there because you're self managed. So you're doing um, the management of your budget and claiming and paying invoices for people, but you've engaged someone privately to do that for you that has an understanding of how to to do that claiming and manage that budget, which is really ideal. I mean, you've got the best of both worlds.
1: I, I haven't, but I think I was definitely very lucky having friends that were on it uh, before me, you know, mm. so that kind of stepped me through the process, you know, like because I was just like, Follies! <laughs> <I'm> like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Like I have enough on my plate, like so. Yeah. Um, in in that respect, you know, like I have you know a couple, a few times with a few things, um, it hasn't been the right mix straight away, um, mm-hmm. and that. But I, I think, um you know, so I think about it a little bit like horses. Like some sometimes it does find take time to find the right horse, you know, yeah. that suits you. And, yeah. and so I, think, I guess I just went into it with, without, like, panicking that I had to find the right person straight away, you know, Like and, and the right people have just fall, fallen in my direction a lot. Um, mm.
0: How amazing. I mean, we use the analogy at, um, at, at Lighthouse, we use the analogy with our support coordination clients and we say, you know when your favourite pair of jeans just dies in the crutch? or gets stuck in the wash or shrinks or gets a stain and you have to go buy new jeans otherwise you'll be naked you're just gonna have to try a new pair and wear them for a bit and see if they fit and if you don't like them that's cool go try another pair but if you do like them then you know to keep buying that type of jean um you know and it's very similar isn't it you've just got to give it a go like you just got to step into that arena give it a go and you know you literally are stepping into that arena every day when you compete but you've you've got to give it a go don't be scared of it it's not um the worst thing that can happen is you say sorry it's not a good fit
1: yeah um
0: so how long until how long until what's the how do we go from here to get to paris i mean what, what what's in store for you talk to us about that timeline i mean it's getting pretty exciting pretty close now
1: yeah so it's really it's really complicated actually but in a really lovely way um so last year um there's a younger power writer from Victoria Stella Barton and um i I'd noticed her I've known her for a few years now and, and kind of been a little bit of a mentor at times too when she didn't know. You know what direction she was going in and previously found horses for her to compete and things like that and um, the horse at the time she has now just just wasn't gonna make a Paris team basically okay, at, okay. on a situation um but I thought oh, she, you know really I like her as a person you know yeah, can yeah. really see some great traits in her i have this beautiful horse that i compete back here called lord Lamarck, or commonly known as bug so
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and he was right really, <laughs> now yeah really i was really into I've, I've this is 10 years this year since i've had him um and he's actually been owned by two different lots of owners in that time and i've been able to keep the ride on him he's a really special, really hard horse. He's he's a stallion, so he, at times he has mine of his own, but he's just a lovely horse. And I thought the she's a grade one rider, so most disabled category. They um, they do a walk test. Um they for five minutes she has to walk and you think walk would be boring but it's actually very technical. And these horses that they ride are just incredible. The international horses are amazing. And I just thought to myself, you know, it would be really interesting to see how she would go on bug. Anyway, um, I kind of planted the seed a little bit in April last year at a competition we're at. Nothing really happened, but I still had that thought in the back of my mind. And then Stella went and competed at Hartbury in um, the UK in July. Yeah,
0: yeah, beautiful.
1: Competing there, and uh, um, she was riding a borrowed horse. Anyway, I really did. I sat down with her mum and her coach and herself, and um, and I said, look, I, I think I have a horse that might suit you, like,
0: yeah, of course. I mean,
1: it was such a crazy idea. Here's Stella from Victoria. Here's me and the horse in WA and we're going to attempt to get to Paris. Um, and
0: That sounds like a movie almost, doesn't it? <laughs> Great story if it works. <laughs> Over two days before our
1: state championships in WA, rode him twice and then competed on him on the third time. Oh, you are kidding. How incredible an incredible person um, to be able to do that. Like I think, um, you know, I was confident in it because I've done that a lot in my life, you know, catch rides. And and that goes back to having confidence of our our show horse days and used to swap and change and Ride
0: right, each other's ponies basically. In oh, the- we absolutely did. Remember that fun? Quick change your tie, quick change your pocket, like, we'll jump on this horse, put the stirrups down, let's go. <laughs> oh, my goodness.
1: <laughs> have that, you know, have that instilled in me. And, and so I'm like,
0: yeah, yeah, you can just jump on a strange horse and compete it sure. Yeah. <laughs> so anything's possible, isn't it? With the right mindset, anything is possible. Absolutely.
1: And she went and did it, and not only that, she beats the, beat the pants off the rest of us. Like
0: <laughs> Fantastic. What a great story. So what now for Stella and Buck?
1: Yeah, so so wouldn't believe it, but like literally a day after state champs, we we um put the horses on the transport and then drove across Australia to compete at nationals. And I was like, Well, we hope you've got an entry in for nationals, because you can ride them at nationals too. And um, so you know, yeah. in there Basically, I gave up my chance of qualifying for Tokyo on him. Okay. Um, so I gave up my horse, this horse for Stella. Um, yeah. We had... Um, so-
0: for Tokyo or for Paris? Paris. Oh, for Paris, yeah. No, that's okay. I'm, I'm backtracking going, hang on, what, when? Was this just not recently? Oh, <laughs> slip of the tongue. So, yes, yeah, so this is recently and you, and you gave, um, you've given up your chance for for qualifying on him because you have to attend a certain number of events and place in a certain position to be able to earn points, to qualify, to be able to make the team, correct? Yes,
1: yes. Yeah. So I, um, so Stella's campaign is part, going to be partly done from Australia and part, we actually hope partly done from the UK. Um, wow. She won the nationals and not only in the process of winning nationals, she set a grade one freestyle um record. So
0: a new Australian. Oh, how incredible. Record. Wow. Isn't that just amazing? That That's meant amazing.
1: to be. Yep, so <laughs> we came back when with Bug and I kept training Bug for Stella. Um and he's just gone, yep, back on the truck to New South Wales for Stella to compete in a few weeks at Willinger Park. Um so I I'll go I fly to New South Wales on Saturday. Bug will arrive there Friday. Um, so I'm doing this campaign with Stella, with Buck,
0: which uh-huh.
1: is is incredible, um, and my campaign is actually going to be done from the UK. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so I've been to three Olympics and I've done it three different ways basically from Australia. Um, yep. This time um, through connections of my coach, Rosie Ryan. she Her sister has a horse over there that... You talked about putting on a pair of pants and making, you know, they feel, you know, great and you keep with them. Well, I hopped on this horse and, and honestly felt like hopping into my own shoes. Like mm. last year, yeah, um I rode him once and then we took him to Heartbreak competition. Well,
0: oh. this does not surprise me about you, Sharon, can I just say? <laughs>
1: And he placed amongst the best Great Brits and Americans um, there, so um, yeah, like like we're like okay, we're we're going to give this a go, give it a good old Aussie crack, as you say. Um, and yeah, I'm heading back at the end of February to compete on him in mid March, um, yeah. and then I'm back to Australia. <laughs> And do the next competition with Bug and Stella um, in Bonio in April. Um, And all going well, we really hope that actually uh, Bug will then go to the UK with me and I'll continue training him in the UK. And I'll go back and have a bit more time on the horse to finish off my campaign in the UK with the horse that's over there.
0: Well, it sounds like an amazing plan. And if anyone can pull it off, it will be you. And if I know the animals and the horses that, you know, you've ridden over the years and who've looked after you, I'm sure everyone's going to be in your corner um, and, you know, supporting you um, along the journey. It will absolutely fly, I am sure. And it'll be before you know it, you'll be where you need to be for the next step of the journey. And and hopefully uh, Stella and Bug will be there also
1: yeah so so it's it's um I'm at this wonderful I feel like this wonderful part of my life where it really isn't just about me and to be able to give someone else the opportunity to achieve their dream you know like that's just really special like
0: yeah oh yeah it is I think like definitely the secret to living is being able to give back and, um, how special that you have been able to receive so much in your life and now it, you're able to give back. And, and I'm sure you've given back the whole time, but, but now it feels like that moment that you can really make a difference. So, um, Sharon, what, what an incredible journey you've had so far. And, I am very keen to to turn on the TV and, and follow, you know, follow your journey. If people, if listeners want to follow in the lead-up to, to your campaign, is there somewhere that they, they can follow prior to the team being announced?
1: Um. Yeah, so on Facebook um, it's Sharon Jarvis P-L-Y um, mm-hmm. and on Instagram Sharon Jarvis 31. So yep. find me on there. There's also we have Stella Barton paraquestrian. That, that's also going to be a really super journey to follow. So, um, Amazing. Yeah, yeah. So no, it's yes. yeah, really cool.
0: Well, I am so glad that we actually managed to find some time to chat in your very busy schedule. Um, you know, you've got up early for us, but you get up early every day. So um. <laughs> You have to to fit everything into your full life. Thank you so much for joining us. It has been an absolute pleasure and um, we look forward to celebrating with you in the future.
1: Oh, well, thank you. It's so awesome to catch up. We'll have to catch up in person next time I'm down in Victoria.
0: Bye. As we conclude today's episode of Bravery Defined, I want to extend a heartfelt thank you for joining us on this meaningful exploration of courage and resilience. Whether you're facing uncharted territories or navigating familiar roads, remember that your journey is uniquely yours and your bravery is your guiding light. Whatever road you choose to take, please travel safe and know that you're not alone. Join us again next week as we continue this journey, sharing more inspiring stories within the NDIS and broader disability community. If you have stories or topics close to your heart that you'd like us to share, please reach out. Our contact details are in the show notes. I'm Annette Jakubowicz, your host, and I can't wait to embark on another adventure with you on Bravery Defined. Until then, stay brave, stay inspired, and we'll see you next week.